Every week, the Orange Fizz team breaks down the five most pressing questions about Syracuse athletics. Holy cow, what a big-time defensive play! No holds barred. I pity the fool. It's the Fizz Five. Five! Hello and welcome into another edition of Fizz 5. Today is Friday, November 17th. My name is Ethan Frank, joined alongside Tyler Aiken, another Fizz staffer. Tyler, how are you doing on this Friday afternoon? I'm doing great. Basketball season officially started. Feast week coming up, so I, I'm I'm excited to eat some grub and watch some ball next week. So let's let's start with topic number zero here. You mentioned Feast Week. What's your favorite Thanksgiving food to feast on? Favorite Thanksgiving food to feast on? See, I want to say mac and cheese, but I don't think that's like a solely Thanksgiving food. Uh, I I have the my family makes a cornbread casserole that's very good. I'll, I'll go cornbread casserole. I'm jealous. I need to get the Aitken family cornbread casserole one of these days. Uh, a lot going on here in Syracuse. It's your prototypical day, rainy, you know, gray. It's not too cold, which is nice. But uh, but let's get right into it. Tyler mentioned it. Basketball is here. Number one. Syracuse 79, Colgate 75, your final score from the JMA Wireless Dome on Tuesday. We've got full coverage, in case you forget, of every Syracuse men's basketball game on our Twitter and X page at Orange Fizz. Live post-game reactions, and make sure to check out our website as well, theorangefizz.com. This was a crazy basketball game, Tyler. Syracuse down by 24 points at one point, 54-30 in the second half, and just staged an, an unbelievable comeback. You know, I know we're, we're ter- two Syracuse guys through and through. We've watched a lot of games. I mean, I'm not going to sit here and say it was like Virginia in the 2016 Elite Eight, but it, it kind of gave off similar vibes. It did. It was, it was probably a more impressive comeback given just the sheer deficit. I mean, 24 points. I believe that's a top 15 comeback in NCAA history. I'm sure they don't have full records of that going way back. But just the adjustments made by this team. A few people have said it already. I'm not the originator of this idea. But the last two years of Beheim's career, he was not making the in-game adjustments necessary to win this game. He, he, he no. wasn't, wasn't going to change enough. No, and and credit goes to to Autry, Adrian Autry for that, and credit to the players because we saw through the first two games against New Hampshire and Canisius, they just were not playing hard defensively for a full forty minutes, and they didn't play a full forty minutes tonight. But Autry said it after the game that they were able to put twenty consistent minutes together, pretty much, or maybe really only sixteen. But playing four minute intervals was a huge asset for this group. It was, and you know, there's some temptation to. Boy, the press looked good. Just run them in those four-minute intervals over and over and over again. But the, there was a, a decent amount of versatility even within that 20-minute stretch where there was a press and they would fall back into a defense. And it just felt like everybody was communicating really well and talking really well. Now, was that the only 16-minute stretch that's going to happen going forward? I don't know. It's some really good offenses Syracuse has to face next week. But the communication was great and working hard those are some of the the intangibles that you just you can't teach people and guys like Malik Brown guys like Quadir Copeland they brought that in that big stretch there because Quadir Copeland probably shouldn't have been playing in that stretch talent wise but because he was doing so well defensively he forced Autry to keep him on the floor yeah and I mean we've talked about it before everyone knows how big of a Quadir Copeland fan I am uh he, he was tremendous defensively that's one of his biggest assets you think about a guy like Malik Brown how good he is at leading a press with his length and his athleticism and then Judah Mintz as well at the guard position a couple of steals for him as well I believe between those three guys they combined for eight steals which is that's a lot 
Colgate turned the ball over double uh, in a double-digit amount of times in the second half. And if you're a team trying to pull off what is an upset on the road against a power conference team, you just can't do that. You look at three-point shooting in this game as well. Colgate makes eight threes in the first half. The only one they make in the second half is pretty much in garbage time when Syracuse had basically sealed this win. The Orange defense was unbelievable in the second half, but that doesn't mitigate the struggles that it clearly had in the first half. The man defense... That kind of that experiment, not going so well. No, it, it it really isn't, and maybe that's not the worst thing in the world. I've talked with a, a fellow Fizz, mem- Fizz member, Francesco Simone, quite a bit about the fact that this is the best roster Syracuse has had for running a zone defense in a long time. There is the length, there's the quickness, there's the guys that can challenge three pointers, which is the main deficit of the two three zone. And so if it happens to be that Syracuse continues to run the 2-3, I'm okay with that because the players really seem to fit better with that scheme. The defense has worked better in the 2-3 This is a roster to play zone. It is. It really is. Wadir Copeland was put on this earth to play 2-3 zone defense. I truly believe that. That was the only thing he was put on this earth for? Uh, Well, maybe some other things, but that was the main reason. Um, But there are some, when you go to a man-to-man defense, there are some deficiencies. There's going to be guys that are too quick for Naheem McLeod. There's going to be guys that are... That's almost everyone at this point. That's almost everyone. There's going to be guys that are too big for uh, Malik Brown to handle one-on-one, but maybe in a zone it kind of fixes some of those flaws. And just whoever's at the top of the zone is always going to be a great kind of pairing, whether it's J.J., whether it's Judah, whether it's Quadir. That trio can really Or Kyle Cuff. Or Kyle Cuff. There's going to be steals like crazy. There's going to be pressure. There's length. It just it really makes sense to run the two three. Maybe the man experiment yeah. is done, like you said. And you look at you know let's let's shift to the offense a little bit. The two leading scores in this game: Chris Bell, a career high twenty five. Judah Mintz with twenty three gets to the foul line fourteen times, goes eleven for fourteen at the charity stripe. For Bell, he goes six of fourteen from three. He he has confidence right now. He's driving the ball to the basket. He's still not doing a lot of other things. It's pretty much he's scoring, and, and that's about it. Zero but, rebounds in that game, yeah. But and zero assists, I believe, as Correct. well. But he's doing what he needs to do, attacking the basket and and lighting it up from behind the arc. He he did it in that one game. You know, it's tough because I don't, I I don't. I would feel bad overly criticizing Bell after he puts up a twenty five point performance. But he's proven that so far, that's not a consistent performance from him. And I think it would be unfair even to him to expect that going forward. He's the type of guy that can come into the game and he can score in bunches when he's hot. And there are other games where if he's not shooting this well, he should just be taken off the court. Because you're right, even in a game where he puts up a bunch of points and provides a lot offensively, when he's not in that perfect mindset, He's a he's a net deficit on the court. So yes, a great game from Bell, but these are only a once in a while type of thing. And it's great that Syracuse could take advantage of it. But if he misses first three, four, or five shots, isn't crashing the boards, then you can't just sit around and wait for this to happen every game. No, you you can't. Um, and he's not going to do this every game. You need more of an output from a guy like Justin Taylor, who only had six points. You need more uh, scoring from some of these wing players, like Quadir Copeland. Had had four points. Benny Williams went over four and didn't score in the first game back from his suspension. Kyle Cuff didn't make either of his three point attempts. Justin Taylor with only six points. You just need more production on the wing, and I understand Bell made up for some of it, but you need more. No, that that's a, a great point. And speaking of Benny Williams, 
I understand that he had to, you know, slowly work his way back from the suspension and didn't start, but he was a total non-factor. He, on defense, on offense, I just saw, it felt like he wasn't even on the court. felt like there were four guys plus the ghost of Benny Williams. The ghost? Well, uh, hopefully he he picks back up his body when (laughs) Syracuse heads to the Maui Invitational uh, coming up in a few days. We'll have more on that later. Let's, uh, Let's move over to football. Number two. Dino Babers gets off the schneid. The five-game losing streak is over. Syracuse 28, Pitt 13, your final at Yankee Stadium from last weekend, a game in which Syracuse threw eight passes. Its leading uh, passer was its tight end. Its leading rusher was its tight end. And its leading receiver was its starting quarterback. What a fun game of musical chairs. It, It was... Not your typical style of football. This felt like it felt like I was watching a high school football game where you just run into a team that runs a weird formation and you look at the roster and you're like, wait, why is a wide receiver throwing the ball? And they're like, oh, well, actually, the past two games, he's been the quarterback of the team. You just don't know what to think. And uh, you have to give a lot of credit to Dino Babers and whoever on his coaching coaching staff put together this game plan because it worked like a charm. Now it was it, it had to. It wasn't like Syracuse had had any choice. But there are a lot of situations and alternate universes where this game turns out a lot worse than it did. Yeah, uh, huge credit to Dan Valari. Seventeen carries, one hundred and fifty-four yards, and a touchdown. Also threw five passes, completed three of them for twelve yards. I mean, he's talked to uh, to the media a lot this week and said he was pretty surprised when the game plan was coming together from Jason Beck and, and Coach Babers last week. But he was ready to accept the challenge, and and he did it. He took it head on. Garrett Schrader rushed for over a hundred yards. LaQuinn Allen rushed for over a hundred yards. Syracuse rushed for three hundred and ninety-two total yards as a team. I, I I'm speechless. I'm speechless. It's, it's crazy what this group was able to accomplish. And, you know, I, I think, you know, there's part credit goes to Jason Beck for kind of taking his medicine and running this type of offense. But it's clear that it took, like, extreme dire circumstances to get to this point in the first place. And it's kind of like, why didn't you adjust earlier? I'm not saying go to a no-pass offense earlier, but why weren't you able to adjust more earlier based on your personnel and your health of your roster? No, that's a great point. I mean, Garrett Schrader should have been running the football a heck of a lot more than he did during that five-game losing streak. Now he only played four of them, but even in those games— the designed runs that were so successful against Purdue and against Army just disappeared. And I know there was a lot of dialogue after those games about how Schrader can't run this often, he's going to get hurt, and he did end up getting hurt eventually in an unrelated manner. But it just, it seemed to me that in it, Syracuse overreacted. Well, we don't want Schrader to get hurt, so now there's no designed runs. And yeah, he'll scramble a lot, but Schrader should be running the football a lot, regardless of the offensive setup. LaQuint Allen should be fed the ball a lot. Dan Villari, who is the best tool player, gadget athlete on this team, he should be fed the ball a lot. And so those three players were fed the ball, and look what happened. Your best three players got the ball. Exactly. Your best three players succeeded. And, you know, that is not, pitch, Pitt is not very good. They did beat Boston College last night, who did beat Syracuse. Uh, I saw, saw a good tweet out there from Emily Leiker of Syracuse.com that the protected Northeast rivalry games, BC beats Syracuse, Syracuse beats Pitt, Pitt beats BC. So a little round robin there. Those two, te- those three teams will all continue to play each other as we move forward in the uh, future of the ACC. I guess the question now is, how do you adjust off this? And we'll talk about that in a little bit when we're previewing this Georgia Tech game tomorrow. But 
something you, you can't run this out again. I, I don't know about that. Really? Really? You think Georgia Tech's not going to have watched a week of film on this and be ready for this? Georgia Tech allows 224 rushing yards per game. That is the second worst in the entire country. I don't care if they have a week to game plan for it. Georgia Tech has what not What if Georgia shown... Tech's playing 11 men in the box? Well, I you think Georgia Tech's going to come out with 11 men in the box? Why Why wouldn't they? Well, I guess they. it's possible that they could, but all year they haven't been able to stop the run, and all of a sudden they just realize, oh, maybe we should load the box and it'll stop the run. I mean, run. how can you not load the box against a team that threw eight passes last week? Uh, well, it, it was interesting. In his press conference this week, Dino Babers did say the only reason we'll go away from the strategy we used against Pittsburgh, uh, that the, the, we is his words, not mine, but the only reason that that would change is if a quarterback got healthy. And guess and so what? we have I'll no what, idea. There's no way Garrett healthy. Schrader's shoulder has improved enough that he could throw the foot. I mean, we saw what happened when he threw the pass to Max Ming. Immediately grabbed his shoulder. And Carlos Del Rio Wilson didn't even suit up. I wouldn't put Carlos Del Rio Wilson on the field if he was healthy. I, I've i been saying that. I, I totally agree with the you. Ship, but th- I, if the ship hasn't sailed on Carlos Del Rio Wilson at this point, I don't know if it's ever going to sail. But So then you say you can't run this system again. Who, who's going to be throwing passes? I, I don't know. Dan Villari? I don't know what. You know, it's not my job to come up with the <laughs> offensive game plan. But you can't say, well, these quarterbacks aren't going to be throwing passes this week. But also, you can't just run the same all-run system. You have system. to find a way to adjust off of this. So who's going to run the fo- Who's going to pass the football? That's Jason Beck's job and Dino Bear's <laughs> job, not mine. Uh, and I'm excited to watch to see, to see what will happen. Uh, when you look at this game, you know, Syracuse now only one win away from bowl eligibility. It was huge to get this game because you have a Georgia Tech team that's fighting for bowl eligibility and then a game against what is oh, Wake Forest is having a down year, but Dave Clawson's a very good coach. So Syracuse just one win away from bowl eligibility. All right, let's transition back from the gridiron to the hardwood. Number three. Syracuse women's basketball off to a strong start this season. The Orange 2-0 on the young campaign. 3-0. 3-0. Excuse me, 3-0, just like the men's squad. I'm sorry, they beat uh, Lafayette, Central Connecticut State, and then Coppin State. So yeah, a, a lot of states in there. And now first big road test coming up this weekend at a ranked Maryland team. That, that's going to be a, a real big challenge. I mean, this is a historic dominant start for Syracuse women's basketball Three 30-point wins to start the season. Only the second time that's happened in program history. You have to go back to 1974 to find the last time that it was three 30-point wins back-to-back-to-back to kick things off. And this has been without Georgia Woolley, who was the second leading scorer on Syracuse's team last year. And so things could get better. But like you said, you know, three really bad teams and ranked Maryland team. It, it's going from... Maryland, who did just lose big to UConn last night. Now, that's... To UConn, so we don't really know what to expect from Maryland, but going from 0 to 100 schedule-wise. Yeah. Uh, first road test, uh, d- the the play and and you know how much DeAsia Fair will play, I think is a, is a huge question mark because what what was going on with her against Coppin State in the middle of the week? She was injured, suspended, held out for a coach's decision. What was going on? And, th- and then we weren't really given much information after the fact. I mean, clearly... She did play 30 minutes. She played 30 minutes off the bench. So maybe it was just... Uh, my mind goes to maybe a suspension thing where you is don't she, deserve the coach, pride of starting. I don't is know. Is Felicia Leggett-Jack going to the Dino Baber strategy of half suspensions? <laughs> With uh, <laughs> Elijah, Elijah Clark only playing special teams <laughs> instead of defense. No, that was funny. I mean... I don't know. I, I'd imagine Fair will be back. 
Georgia Woolley, again, we've mentioned a question mark coming back from an injury. Dominique Camp, a big transfer from Akron, out for the season, which was kind of an unexpected announcement. But this team is so deep that I'm really not worried about the lack of players because there's just so much depth here. It's interesting, kind of, you didn't feel like there was a whole lot of turnover on this roster coming out of last year, but then you look at the box score through these first few games, and you look who's leading this team. Isabel Verajal, new. Sophie Burrows, new. Kennedy Perkins, very small role last year. Alyssa Latham, new. And it's really just Elena Rice, it's DeAsia Fair, and it's Kyra Wood and Saniya Wilson are really the main returners. And then you're looking for Perkins and maybe Alexi McNabb to take a step up to make up for the losses of a Tisha Hyman, of a Dariana Lewis. Yeah, I mean, Tisha Hyman was a huge loss. Uh, Dariana Lewis was a big loss as well. But in terms of rebounding, Alyssa Latham has been very impressive. Especially I know, as a freshman. Especially as a freshman. She came out with a double-double in her debut. And then after the game, Felicia Leggett-Jack goes to the media. I wasn't impressed. I'm treating her like a veteran, not like a rookie. She needs to do even better. And so if I you're love not, that. You know what? I love that attitude. No, it's great. <laughs> if, if you're not impressed with 18 and 11 or whatever it was from a freshman forward, then I think that speaks to how good Latham could be. And look, there's a lot of people that just kind of fit together, and there's a, a rotation here. I do think towards the end of the season in ACC play, there's going to be a solidified starting five. And the question is who kind of gets left out of that because... So what what would your starting five be right now for this team? So assuming assuming Woolley comes back, I'd probably... So you have to start DeAsia. You have to start Georgia. Uh, and then it's uh, Alyssa Latham. Those are the three I think you have to start. Sophie Burrows is a great shooter, it almost feels redundant to have her on the court alongside Georgia Woolley. You can never have enough shooting. No, but Elena Rice can also shoot, and then she rebounds a little bit better than Burroughs. So I'd probably put Elena Rice out there. And then the center position, it really is just Isabel Verja. So I guess that would be my five. Yeah, but there's so much depth on this roster, like you talked about. You look at this box score against Coppin State. You had, what, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine players play double-digit minutes in this game. This is a team that could go nine or ten deep, especially once Georgia Woolley returns. It is, and just going back to that center position, that is my main concern, is there's depth at forward, there's depth at guard, but Isabel Verjao didn't play any minutes last year at Michigan. She hasn't been overly impressive this year. She had a good showing against Coppin State, but just seems a little bit clumsy in the paint at times, dropping passes and stuff. And so then you look at the backup center, and there isn't really a true one. Kyra Wood can play at down low a little bit. Marlena Triantafili plays a little bit, but there isn't kind of a bona fide backup center. And that concerns me going into ACC play, playing against some of those better teams that SU will have to. We'll see what, what the Orange can do. Uh, it'll be a huge test moving forward against Maryland, then two games in Las Vegas. Huh. How about that? Felicia Leggett-Jack securing her squad a trip to the Sin City. We'll see what happens over the next week, and we'll have full coverage of Syracuse women's basketball here on Fizz 5 throughout the season. All right, let's keep moving on and head back to football. Number four. Talked about Georgia Tech a little bit. Let's dive into it a little bit more. The thing I keep coming back to with this game, Tyler, Georgia Tech is 5-5. Five and five. Same with Syracuse. Both teams need one more win to get to a bowl game. Do you know who Georgia Tech plays next week after they play Syracuse? Uh, I've heard a rumor that it might be an in-state rival. Yeah, it is an in-state rival. Only the two-time defending national champion, number one team in the country, Georgia Bulldogs. So it's like they kind of have to win this game. Like, 
they're not beating Georgia. They have to win this game. And, you know, one of my favorite lines is you can't fake desperation. And Georgia Tech is going to be desperate to win this game. And that is why I believe Georgia Tech will win this game is because they are going to be the more desperate team. Uh, See, I just, I really find it hard to believe that there is such a step up in effort from Georgia Tech compared to Syracuse. Like, college football players play hard. Yes, there are slackers here and there. But do I think this game will be decided because Georgia Tech wants it more? That's just such an that's an unquantifiable thing. You, I, I don't know. Georgia Tech's run defense is so bad, Ethan. It's so bad. I could see LaQuint Dallin rushing for two hundred this weekend. Two hundred yards. Yeah. I I don't see that. I I feel I don't understand how as a team. I understand it's about your personnel. How you can come into a game knowing a team is going to only run the football and then not at least semi stop them. But it's kind of happened over and over again with Georgia Tech. Is the thing. It has happened all year long. So I maybe you don't understand it, but it's happened. Yeah. I, I, I don't know. An I, average of 224, and I think it's over 250 in conference play, I, if I'm, if I'm doing if my math correctly. But if you're preparing all week to stop it, don't you think they'd be better this week? Maybe that's what the media should be asking Georgia Tech's coaching staff every week because they really haven't done that successfully. Now, look, do I have a lot of confidence in Syracuse's offense? No. Can lightning strike twice with this kind of awkward wildcat system? Probably not. So I guess that'll be interesting to see. We really don't know if there will be adjustments, like you mentioned earlier in the show, if those adjustments will be made. Uh, I don't know. It's... I'll tell you what. I got I got the unofficial you know sports book open right now. Okay. Uh, Syracuse, six and a half point underdogs to Georgia Tech. The over-under is 53-and-a-half. I'll tell you what right now. I'm taking Georgia Tech to win this game by a touchdown, at least. And I'm going to take the under, too. I don't see how Syracuse often, Syracuse's offense is successful in this game. I don't see it. I, I'm with you on the under. Six-and-a-half is a big spread for two five-and-five teams. I just I, I keep going back to this. I think Georgia Tech, knowing they have to win this game to get to a bowl, Haynes King is really good. And I think he's going to put on a show against a Syracuse secondary that has proven this year that it is not very good. I I, w- I wouldn't go that far. You think that? What do you mean you wouldn't go that far? Did you watch the Florida State or the North Carolina or the Virginia? They were Tech on games? the field for forty-five minutes. Of course, they, they were tired. Oh, they, they were tired. Excuse, <laughs> excuses, excuses. I I mean, you can't expect the defense to be all that successful when the offense is giving them, like, a minute and a half breather over and over again. Then they have to be out on the field for the next eight minutes. You know what? We're just we're not going to agree on. This. I guess not. I guess but not. You, do you think Georgia Tech's going to win the game? No, I think Syracuse is going to win the game. Um, one win has has completely brainwashed Tyler. The Syracuse <laughs> team is not good. They're I, I not agree. This game. Georgia Tech is just awful. A team that beat Miami. Yes. A team that beat North Carolina. Yes. A team that's a North Carolina team. Syracuse lost to by thirty three points. Georgia Tech is not a good football team. Okay. Uh, we'll agree to disagree on that one, and you can find the crystal ball predictions from the entire Fizz staff on theorangefizz.com. All right, let's wrap it up with some more basketball. Number five. The Maui Invitational. Feast week, as Tyler declared it. It's here. Syracuse is playing in Maui for the fourth time, first time since 2013. The Orange have won each of the previous three iterations it's played in. Tyler, I got some trivia for you. Okay, let's do you do know it. the years Syracuse played in the Maui Invitational the first three times. I know 2013. Okay. Um, 
I'm just going to rip off some bad guesses here. 2007? No. 2004? Nope. How old is the Maui Invitational? Oh, well, the first time Syracuse played in it was 1990. Okay, so pretty old. Okay, so I got oh, some... Oh, because Autry did play. Yes. That, he, he I on. had heard that, yeah. 90, 1998, and 2013. And now 2023. Okay, I got some more trivia. Do you know any of the teams Syracuse beat in the championship games to win its three Maui Invitational championships? Was Kansas one of them? Kansas was not one of them. Did they beat Kansas earlier in a tournament in one of them? I prob I think so, but I'm not 100% sure. Okay, uh, so not Kansas. See, it's probably not going to be any Big East opponents because they try to get a mix of conferences in here. Um, what about like an Oklahoma? No, and no, they never beat Kansas in the Maui Invitational. Wow. Okay. So who would they beat? In 1990 and 1998, Syracuse beat Indiana. Okay. Got revenge for the 1987 National Championship game in, in the Maui Invitational Championship game. And in 2013, Syracuse beat Baylor in the okay. championship game. All right, final trivia. Can you name any of the MVPs for okay. Syracuse? So 2013, that was – it's not James Sutherland. I don't know why that is not James Sutherland. I know it's not him. Uh as a Syracuse native, Tyler, I'm going to be disappointed if, if you don't, I don't get, get 2013. Um, could be, this C- would be, could thir- be CJ. It was CJ. Okay. I was going to say. It was the 13-14 season. Guess. It was CJ Fair. Uh, 1998. This is a famous Syracuse player. I think you would know him. That's a little too late for Lawrence Moten, I think. Yep. Too late. For, yeah. Uh, too late for Billy Owens, I think. Preston Shumpert Sr. was... He could. He was a shooter back then. So probably, but not, I'm not getting a yes yet. Not Preston Chumper. Ninety-eight. See, that's a tough era because I know like the '96 uh, Final Four team with like John Wallace and yep. stuff. Who was it? I don't know. It was Jason Hart. Jason Hart. Okay. 1990. May or may not have been a name you said already. Oh, Adrian Autry. Not. It was not Adrian Autry. Oh. He was a freshman on that. Oh team. shoot. So it's not Wallace. Uh... Is it Lawrence Moten? It was not Lawrence Moten. So it's Billy Owens, though. It was Billy Owens. Okay. Good well, good process of elimination there. Thank you, thank you. So going into this game against Tennessee, what are you looking for? Uh, you, so so we, saw, we saw a mix of defenses in, in the past few weeks. I'd love to see a fully zone defense look against Tennessee. That's just been, that's been what's worked. No more time for experimentation. You go up against the top 25 team in the country, you have to run what you do best. And so that will be a zone defense against Tennessee, and then this is the type of game where Judah Mintz needs to show that this is his team. He's not sharing a great backcourt. He's not leading a team of great sophomores. No, this is Judah Mintz and everybody else. That's what I want to see. He's a a player of the talent level to compete against Tennessee. It's about if he can bring these other guys with him and if they're ready to compete on a stage like this. A national audience, uh, the number one college basketball crew doing this game, um, it, it, it's about, you know, can you perform on the biggest stage against the most talented teams? And is Syracuse ready to do that? We're going to find out. Do you think they're ready to do that? No. <laughs> no, I don't think so. I think this team, we forget how young this team is at times. Uh, I would be pretty surprised if it won either of the first two games against Tennessee and then either Purdue or Gonzaga. You have to win one of one game this tournament. You can't go 0-3. That would be bad. But we will uh, we'll see against Tennessee. I, I think Tennessee's probably going to win by double digits. Yeah, I mean, Syracuse just had to come back by 24 against Colgate. And it was a great comeback, I understand. But there, I think there's been some overreaction to how great that comeback was. 
SU shouldn't have been down by 24 no, in the they first should, place. They should not have. Uh, and we'll have full coverage of all the games on our Twitter, at OrangeFizz, the website, theorangefizz.com, all sorts of content going on all for your feast week, Syracuse football, Syracuse basketball, and what's going on in the world of college sports. Thank you so much for joining us on this week's edition of Fizz 5 with Tyler. I'm Ethan saying so long, and we'll catch you next week. And that's your Fizz 5. Listen next week. Subscribe, rate, and review. This has been an Orange Fizz production.